everything. So it's good for us to be here tonight. Just be refreshed and renewed in the Lord. A couple quick announcements I'd like to make is that um, there is uh, the ladies' holiday potluck dinner, 5 o'clock, hosted by Amy Banowitz on Saturday. Her uh, address is there uh, in the bulletin. And her phone number, it's an ornament exchange, starts at 5 o'clock, as I mentioned and uh, sign up at the information desk so Amy knows how many ladies are coming. So uh, it's supposed uh, to be a good day Saturday, so have a great time, ladies, at the ladies' Christmas event. And then the youth are going to be reminded upstairs of a couple things, parents. Uh, They're going to be serving at the Weld Food Bank, um, and the address is there in your bulletin. And I'm sure they got that information upstairs as well. If you need it, and middle schoolers, 9 to 11 o'clock, high schoolers, 11 o'clock to 1 o'clock, and meet at the food bank 15 minutes early, and make sure the kids have a jacket because it gets cold in there, or it's just cool in there in that warehouse, so um, have them be ready for that. So I guess it's supposed to warm up on Saturday in the 40s, so it'll probably feel like summertime compared to what it is right now, So, but have them bring a jacket. And then, um, then Koinia Fellowship, a week from Saturday on the 17th, Jerry and Sandy Sanders resumes that. Uh, take note of that, 6 o'clock potluck dinner. Their address, phone number there in the bulletin. And then don't forget about Jerry and Lola Clayton, Dare to Care Ministries, that are collecting food and toys. Uh, they're going to be distributed on the 19th, that's a Monday uh, of December, from 11 to 2 o'clock. And if you'd like to help because those food boxes get heavy, that would be a tremendous blessing for them. And uh, you can sign up and, and, um, for that help. And then also, if you know somebody or you, anybody that uh, needs a food box, uh, there's forms you can fill out, drop it in the offering box. We'll make sure that Jerry and Lola get that information to you. So that's what we got going on Sunday, 8, 9, 30, and 11 o'clock. We'll continue in Luke's Gospel. Kind of the schedule for this month is going to be, um, the, the, uh, we'll be in Luke, uh, obviously the 11th and 18th. Where we're at in Luke, last week, if you're here on Sunday, we went over that section where Jesus says, beware of hypocrisy. And we, we talked about that in detail. I, th- I thought it was a wonderful lesson that we went through. And now what we're going to see this Sunday is he's going to give another warning. And he's going to say, beware of covetousness. And that's going to be a really important lesson for us because that's something that can really pull on us is covetousness, especially in our society where, you know, we think that if we have more and get more and, uh, you know, all of this, then that is going to, um, you know, something that we desire and pulls on our hearts a lot of times. So we need to be aware of that. And we're going to talk about that quite extensively on Sunday morning. And I hope it's a tremendous blessing to you and an encouragement to you. Invite somebody out. And then what we'll do on the 18th, we'll go through that section of chapter 12 that talks about don't worry. So here Jesus, he, he talks to us, this, uh, you know, to the crowds about covetousness, but then he says, don't worry about tomorrow. So uh, worrying anxiety can be something, particularly in the holiday season, that we can have. Um, and so we'll talk about that on the 18th. And then on uh, Christmas weekend, we're going to have three uh, Christmas Eve services at 2, 4, and 6 o'clock. They're family services. 
candlelight services, and we'll be, um, you know, celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ, having uh, Christmas music, and uh, I'll be giving a message. We're going to have, as I mentioned, family service, so the kids will be in here. We'll have the nursery available for uh, three years and under, so we're really looking forward to that as we come together on Christmas Eve, 2, 4, and 6 o'clock. There's these little cards that are out there on the information desk and also parents as you check in your kids that are a real nice little invite and and I like it they're just nice you can stick it in your pocket or a couple of them and then you can take them to work or school or uh, to your family members uh, neighbors whoever pray about who you would invite to come out to the Christmas Eve services uh, because people are more up to come during this time of the year than any other time. And that even includes on Easter. So invite them out because they're going to hear the gospel, why Jesus came to this world, born as the babe of Bethlehem, uh, because he had a mission, and that was to come and die for our sins. So be sure to grab some of those, and we're going to make more. And then what we will do, we're going to be in Proverbs today, and, uh, and on the 14th and on the 21st, And then the last Wednesday of the month on the 28th, that's when we're going to do a prophecy update. And I know that many of you are very used to me doing our New Year's Eve prophecy update. It's very popular. A lot of people come. People come from out of town to to hear that. And uh, it seems like we barely have enough room to get everybody in. But we squeeze everybody in, and um, that's how we end the year. But since New Year's Eve is on Saturday, what we're going to do is have the Wednesday night where we're going to do the prophecy update. And what we're going to do is continue to go through Luke's gospel because after we talk about on the 18th about worrying, then the next section he's going to talk about his return. And there's three sections in there that are very important for us to consider and understand because when I do a prophecy update, I don't want it just to be a news briefing to you. You can read the news as well, and many of you do. But we're going to talk about some of those things. But Jesus talks about waiting. Uh, What does it mean to wait for the Lord? And then about, second of all, watching. Why is it important to be watching for the return of the Lord? And then thirdly, working, to be the faithful servant. So we're going to touch on those three things that are very important as we talk about the return of the Lord. You know, what it means to be waiting. What does that entail? You know, why should we be watching? And there are those signs that point to the soon return of Jesus Christ. And then how important it is for us to be working, that is, be the faithful servant um, that continues on just serving the Lord in the days in which we're living in. So I hope it's a tremendous blessing. And then on the 1st of January, which is Sunday, as we start a new year, I'm going to give a special message on New Year's Day. We'll have our three morning services, 8, 9.30, and 11 o'clock. And uh, looking forward to just encouraging you as we start a new year, um, 2017, if the Lord doesn't come back before then. Um, but we'll start a new year and want to encourage you and just continuing on because um, the Lord, uh, I believe, wants to do so much in your life. He wants to do so much in the life of this fellowship 
as we do go into a new year. So that's kind of the schedule coming up, and we'll go over that again. We'll have a flyer and a bulletin kind of reminding you of everything. So the only thing that's different that we're going to be doing, we'll be here on Wednesday nights, is Christmas weekend. Instead of Sunday, we won't be here Christmas morning. Uh, We'll be here at 2, 4, and 6 o'clock. And and the reason for that, if you're wondering, why aren't you having Sunday? Kind of with me is, you know, every pastor has to wrestle with this. Do you do just Christmas Eve? Do you do Christmas morning? I'm kind of like what Paul says, that one man esteems one day above another. One man esteems every day alike. You be convinced in your own mind. I esteem every day alike. It doesn't matter to me if we meet on Friday or on Sunday. Sunday we traditionally meet, and we've always done that. We're here every Sunday. Matter of fact, I think in the nearly 21 years that we've been at church, We've never canceled a Sunday for weather or anything. We're here, and we're teaching the Word of God. We're faithful in doing that. But with Christmas being on Sunday, um, you know, we're going to have three services. So the staff, and and we're going to be here all day on Christmas Eve into the evening. And I just felt like I'd like to give the staff and, and, and those who volunteer you know, to be with their families on Christmas morning. So that's why we're doing that, Uh, to be with, you know, uh, their kids and to be able to enjoy it with their families. And so we won't be here Sunday uh, morning. Uh, Our weekend services will be on Christmas Eve, 2, 4, and 6 o'clock candlelight uh, services. And we're really looking forward to it. All right? So everybody clear on that? Okay, I went over a lot, but let's go over Proverbs chapter 21. As Father, we come, and we look forward to um, the services this month. But, uh, Father, I do pray that you would help us tonight. We're here tonight. We got this chapter before us. And, Lord, we want to hear your word. And may it encourage us to live a life after you and live in wisdom because we know there's benefit and there's blessing when we do that. And so um, help us be attentive right now. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You know, there's a lot of uh, proverbs that are out there in the world. For example, when you go and eat Chinese food, you get the fortune cookie, you know, at the end. And you open it up and there's a little proverb that is in there. And they're kind of fun uh, to, to look at and to, to read and stuff. And, and there's Chinese proverbs. There's Eastern Proverbs and Eastern religion proverbs. There's a lot of proverbs that are out there, uh, European proverbs um, from different cultures and different nations, and they can contain some truth. But keep in mind as we go through the book of Proverbs that this is truth because it's God's word. And, and I pray that there's a proverb or two or, you know, the whole chapter really impacts your heart because as we go over these Proverbs and how we are to live wisely, this is God's giving us instruction and how we speak and how we conduct ourselves and how we behave in our relationship with others. And I think it's such a tremendous blessing uh, for me, and I hope you're blessed going through these chapters. So let's look at chapter 21. The king's heart is in the hand uh, of the Lord, like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. Now, I gave this verse to you, particularly right before the election, because we just got through with a major election. We elected new leaders for our nation and for our state and even for our own you know, community. 
And, and sometimes, you know, when the election happens, maybe perhaps you're happy with the results of the election, but the next election that happens, maybe you won't be. And one of the things I always want to remind you, and I need to remind myself, is the Lord is on the throne, and he's the one that's in control. And as I think about, you know, leaders that not only for our own nation, but around the world that are being raised up, uh, you know, I, I, I wonder, and sometimes we worry, worry about that. Sometimes we get anxious. Sometimes we like it. Sometimes we don't, the leaders that are raised up. But this is a verse that should bring all of us comfort because the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Like the rivers of water, he, he turns it wherever he wishes it. You know, there's a very important verse in Romans chapter 13 that I know that many of you, you know that verse. And uh, it's a verse that tells us that, um, that uh, we're to be subject to the governing authorities and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. And that's in a heavy, amazing verse. So those in authority are appointed by God and we can trust that what everything that has taken place is going to be cult, uh, culminating into the return of the Lord and the Lord establishing his kingdom. And the Lord can direct the king's heart just like he can direct water, you know, in a stream, like the rivers of water. It can be directed by the Lord. And we see that very clearly in the scriptures, don't we? We see it all the way from, for example, in the book of Exodus, when it comes to Pharaoh. We see it with the kings of Israel um, and the kings of Judah. We see it uh, with Cyrus, who was appointed by the Lord to make the decree that the, uh, the people of Judah could come back after 70 years of captivity to Jerusalem. The kids, matter of fact, in the high school group are going to be talking about that tonight. And Cyrus made that decree. He was God's instrument is what Isaiah the prophet says. So we see that God used those in authority for his plans and for his purposes. Many examples of that that are given to us in the scripture. And the prime example given to us is the wonderful Christmas story that we read at Christmas time in Luke chapter 2. That it came to pass that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered for new taxes. And you see Caesar Augustus being uh, the emperor of Rome. He saw himself as the August one, one of divinity, that he speaks this decree that everybody's got to be in transition and go back to your home of ancestry to register for new taxes. So here is Joseph and Mary. They had to go. Mary and her spouse, husband, Joseph, she's with child. They have to make a difficult journey from Nazareth up north uh, in Galilee, clear down to Bethlehem, uh, which is near Jerusalem in Judea. And it wasn't easy traveling. And as they got to Bethlehem, everything, you know, the inns are, are crowded, the private homes, and she's ready to give birth. And they're at the edge of town somewhere, probably in an animal enclosure. Uh, she gives birth to the Son of God. And, and that's such a wonderful, incredible, magnificent story. Luke chapter 2, the birth of Christ, isn't it? And here is Caesar Augustus, you know, this powerful emperor who saw himself as a god, the, the august one, you know, of divinity. He was just a puppet in the hands of God who had declared through the prophet Micah that his son was going to be born in Bethlehem. Uh, the house of bread is what Bethlehem means, is going to be born. You know, the 
bread of life that is Jesus Christ, his son. And we know that God would put that decree in Caesar's Augustus' mind to get Joseph and Mary to the place where his son was predicted by Micah hundreds of years before that to be born in Bethlehem. So we can trust that the Lord is on the throne. He's in control. And I don't know about you, but that brings me great comfort to know that everything is culminating again into the coming of Jesus Christ when he will establish his kingdom. In verse 2, every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. And this is very similar to chapter 16, verse 2, where it says that every way of a man that's right uh, is pure, but it's the same thought. And, you know, without Christ, there are those who try to justify just about anything. And God is the one that knows their hearts and knows their motives. But for us as Christians, we need to remember that the Lord knows our motives and he knows our hearts as well. Matter of fact, when Solomon, in that prayer of dedication that we see uh, in the Old Testament, when he dedicated the first temple, that he would say that, God, you're the one that knows the depths of man's heart. He truly does. He knows our hearts better than we do. He knows our motives. He knows uh, our ways. And, and we can't fool God. Everything is open and naked before him. But I want to encourage you in this because as he's talking about here, Solomon, inspired by the Spirit of God, every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. You may think that you can do something that is right in your own eyes, but the Lord really knows the heart of why you're doing it, what your motives are, what you're, uh, you know, uh, why you're doing it, what you're thinking. And it's important for us to understand that we as Christians, that one day we are going to stand before the Bema reward seat of Jesus Christ. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse 10 tells us that we all must stand before the judgment seat of Christ and that we're going to receive words, what we have done in the body, whether good or bad. And as most of you know, as you've been here at Calvary Chapel, we've covered those portions of scripture that talks about that we will stand at the Bema reward seat. That's the Greek word uh, where we're going to receive rewards for what we have done in the body here in this life. We're not talking about salvation because we cannot earn salvation. Salvation is a free gift. It is not of works, lest anyone should boast. It's the gift of God. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9 is very clear. Another scripture that tells us that no man is justified by the works of the law. We are saved by grace through faith. And so our faith in Jesus Christ That righteousness is imputed to us. But with that said, and this is where a lot of Christians don't understand because they don't have a knowledge of the New Testament. That with that said, though, we are not going to stand at the Bema reward seat of Jesus Christ to be judged for our sins. Jesus took that judgment on the cross. But he is going to judge the motives of our hearts. And there are rewards to be given. What we have done in this life, if we've been faithful to where he has placed us and the gifts that he's given to us. And we're, again, going to talk a little bit more about that on Sunday as we're going to be told not to be 
you know, coveting and uh, the uh, parable, the rich fool who was rich towards himself, but not rich towards God. That's the tragedy of that parable. And there is rewards that he desires to give to us. But what is interesting that when Paul was writing his first letter to the Corinthian believers in chapter three, he writes about that our motives are going to be judged by fire. And what we do for Christ, they're likened unto gold, silver, and precious metal or wood, hay, and stubble. And all the things, when we go home to be with the Lord, You know, Revelation chapter 1 talks about uh, that vision that John had of the glorified Jesus. And he had eyes that were like flames. And I just picture when we go home to see Jesus, that those eyes of flames, those eyes of love are just going to burn up everything that is unlike him. And all the gold, you know, silver and precious metals are going to shine forth as we're going to be rewarded for what we have done in this life. Whether that's mom, you've raised your kids in the ways of the Lord, and there's great reward. Whether you've taken care of your elderly parents or whether you're serving the Lord in some way in how he has called you and where he has placed you and gifts he's given to you. And we should desire those rewards. I've heard people say, well, we shouldn't desire rewards. Well, the New Testament tells us that we should. We're to keep a heavenly perspective. And even as we talked about on, um, on Sunday, that there's a heavenly account that is given to us, as Paul wrote to the Philippian believers, that the fruit that abounds from, you know, you given to me, giving to me, you know, so I can continue in ministry is going to go on your eternal account is what he's saying to them. So there are rewards that are going to be given to us. But, you know, if I have that motivation, as Paul writes, that it's in Second Corinthians chapter 5, that he says it's the love of Christ that constrains me or motivates me. It's our love for him. Our desire to see the kingdom expanded, to be humbled before the Lord, to love others. Those are all good motivations as we serve him and we'll be rewarded for that. And then as we have motivations, you know, if it's for selfish reasons or to exalt self or to be seen of men, God sees that and he knows that. So that's why he was indicting the religious leaders again on that hypocrisy. Outwardly, you seem like you're so religious, but inwardly, you're not right with God. So here, a very important verse. Every man way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. He knows the heart. And then in verse 3, to do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. You know, God is interested in obedience to him. And we see that throughout the scriptures. Uh, again, that uh, it's wonderful that as Christians that we have the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And John in his epistle, most of you know the verse, that if we sin and we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Praise God for that. Isn't, isn't that wonderful to know? If we sin, that we have an advocate with the Father as you move into chapter 2 of First John, Jesus Christ the righteous. But with that said, Living in God's grace, and this is, you know, the, the age of grace, you know, the unmerited favor of God. We're saved by grace through faith is what the scripture tells us. And as we live in grace, it doesn't mean that we just live any way that we want to. It means that we're free to live for him. And Paul writes about that in Romans chapter 6. He says, should we continue in sin that grace abounds? He said, certainly not. In the strongest of terms, no. That we are dead to that stuff. 
and, and we identify with Christ. So that's a very important chapter as uh, you look at that in Romans chapter 6. But with that said, that we also you know, know that walking in obedience is something that the Lord desires for us. And we see in the Old Testament, for example, that it was uh, Saul. Uh, you remember that Saul was the first king of Israel, and he was told to go against the Amalekites. And, and he came back, and he has the king of Agai. He has the best of the, the oxen and sheep to sacrifice. And he sees um, Samuel the prophet. And Samuel the prophet said, uh, you know, that you haven't performed all that the Lord commanded you to do. Because Saul was boasting about that. I commanded all that the Lord told me to do and made a monument to himself at Carmel there. And, and it was the prophet Samuel that said to him that Saul is better to obey than the sacrifice. We see that it was Isaiah that indicted the, the you know, uh, house of Israel um, and even the house of Judah in Isaiah chapter 1. Let me read it to you. When you appear, when you come to appear before me, who has required this from your hand to trample my courts? Bring no more futile sacrifices and incense is an abomination to me. And so what they were doing is, you know, he says to them, what is the purpose of the multitude of your sacrifices to me? And they were not right with God. They were involved in idol worship and all these other things. And the Lord says, I'm weary of it is what I am in chapter one. And he says, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, put away the evil of your doings before my eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice. And so he's telling them to walk in obedience. Don't just think that you're just going to come with this religious ritual and sacrificing all the time. He says, I'm weary of that. And we know that David, David, the man after God's own heart, that he would also in in chapter uh, 51 I love this. When he, after his sin with Bathsheba, he writes that the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. So it's a broken spirit. It's a humble spirit before the Lord. It's desiring to do what is right in the sight of the Lord. I, I want to walk with you. And none of us do that perfectly. And when we do sin, yes, that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But we do not live thinking, well, I'll just go out and sin and then I'll First John 1, 9 it. No big deal. That's not having a humble heart and a contrite heart and spirit. Just, you know, humble before the Lord, desiring to walk with him. So it's better to obey than to sacrifice. And that's what a loving father desires for us to do, is to walk in um, that uh, sacrifice in a way that's pleasing to him. And a haughty look and a proud heart and the plowing of the wicked are sin in verse 4. That word plowing means a light, a lamp. And as we discussed on Sunday, you will radiate, illuminate, reflect what is in your heart. What is in your heart is going to be worked out in your life. And that's why Jesus, in that warning of hypocrisy, said, listen, you that have hypocrisy, wearing the mask, playing the role, is going to be revealed over time. You're not going to be able to hide it. 
What's in the darkness is going to be revealed in the light. So that's true with sin or hypocrisy, but it's also true with the one who's really desiring to please the Lord with their life. And that is going to be revealed over time. It's going to come out, the love of Christ and desiring to please him and the love for others as well. And then in verse 5, the plans of the diligent lead surely to plenty, but those of everyone who is hasty surely to poverty. So uh, someone who works hard constantly, works hard for a living, will have you know, plenty and will provide for themselves. Uh, someone who just wants to have everything at once or immediately, there's going to be poverty that's there. And I think the, for me, as I was thinking about this verse, that we need to, as we apply it spiritually, uh, practically we understand it, but spiritually, that we can get in a hurry And oftentimes when we get in a hurry and we're not really waiting on the Lord and seeking the Lord, it can bring trouble to us. And I know that that I've made decisions in my life that I got in a hurry. I got ahead of the Lord. It was hasty. um, And all of a sudden, um, you know, it, it brought difficulty or wasn't what it could have been or should have been. So we need to learn to wait on the Lord, not be hasty. Just continue praying. Just continue searching the word of God, waiting till you hear a word from the Lord. And then in verse 6, getting treasure by a lying tongue is the fleeting fantasy of those who seek death. And so dishonest gain will never be a blessing. But if, you know, you'll be ensnared by it and it will just bring death. Um, Just death to your spiritual life. And the fleeting fantasy of those who seek death, it's almost like, you know, the guy who's out there in the desert that sees a mirage, you know, of water, but it's nothing. It's empty, and he ends up dying out there in the desert. Listen, if any of us are involved in dishonest gain in any way, being dishonest towards another brother or sister or in our dealings or with our family or whatever the case may be, you know, it's just going to begin to decay and bring death to your spiritual life. So we always want to do what's right before the Lord. And then in verse 7, the violence of the wicked will destroy them because they refused to do justice. So those full of violence, God will eventually bring justice. And um, we can be thankful for that. He is going to make things right. In verse 8, the way of a guilty man is perverse, but as for the pure, his work is right. So when a man, uh, a woman, a person is involved in sin, um, perverse, it is strange. Um, And we can see that, how people are involved in that, that are out in the world and in rebellion against God. Verse 9, better to dwell in a corner of a housetop than in a house shared with a contentious woman. So... I'll leave it at that. But, but <laughs> teaching the Bible is so fun. Actually, you know, contention in the home, um, in the house, uh, it's just by anybody, whether it's with kids or husband or wife or any time in the home, it's just difficult, isn't it? And even in this house, the house of the Lord, um, when there's contention, when there's you know, in the body of Christ. It's just not a good thing. And so what my prayer is, is that we would be ones that we don't want to bring strife and contention, but we would desire to just love our brothers and sisters. And when there is disagreement, uh, that we would respect and go about the biblical mandate of 
talking and working it out and seeking to have clarity and understanding and and restoration and all those things. So we can really learn from this. Uh, verse 10, the soul of the wicked desires evil, and his neighbor finds no favor in his eyes. So uh, evil in a person affects others, doesn't it? Um, sometimes people will say, well, you know, uh, yeah, I know what I'm doing is not right, but I'm not hurting anyone. That's the biggest deception because sin hurts not only you, but it's going to hurt a whole lot of people that are linked to you in your life, whether it's your spouse, whether it's your children, whether it's your family members, whether it's those at work, whoever it might be, it will just begin to affect others. And it's bad news. And, you know, in verse 10, as it says, the soul of the wicked desires evil as anyone who has that evil intent. It just, you know, at the workplace, maybe you've been in an environment like that. Uh, where there's just rebellion and gossip and backbiting and all of this. It it does uh, affect a lot of people. um, And they have no favor in the eyes of those who are being affected by it. I think of Numbers chapter 16 when Korah and and Dathan and the 250 leaders of Israel came to Moses and came to Aaron and said, you guys take too much upon yourself, you know, you guys think you're special. Well, we're special too. And they had this spirit of rebellion. They were doing wickedly. And the earth opened up and swallowed up all those guys and their families. And it was just a a difficult, terrible scene, all because of this rebellious, you know, plot and rebellion against those who God has raised up. And so there's a specific warning in there. I think about when you go then to Joshua chapter 7, when the children of Israel did their first battle against Jericho. And the Lord told them very specifically that when you go against Jericho, that I get the first fruits, the the spoils. So don't, you know, take uh, the spoils for yourself. And also don't take any of the accursed things, the idols and, and things that are unclean. Well, what happened? It was Achan that took a Babylonian garment. He took some, uh, you know, other things. He didn't give it, you know, those gold and silver to the Lord. He took it and he hid it. And it was found out because the next battle they went against was against a little village called Ai. They were defeated. Joshua's going, Lord, what's going on? And the Lord says, Joshua, there's sin in the camp. They went against little Ai and they were defeated and men were killed. Because Achan had taken this Babylonian garment when they defeated Jericho. And he took some of the gold and silver and he hid it. And he was called out and he ended up being stoned in his family. There's a debate whether they were included in that or not. But here's the thing. It affected the whole, you know, children of Israel because of what he did. Because of his evil intents. So we need to understand that when we have greedy, evil unrighteous intent wherever we are it's sin that it's going to affect others in a it's going to be bad news and it's not just about us in verse 11 when the scoffer is punished the simple is made wise and when the wise is instructed he receives knowledge so a scoffer may not learn from the mistakes because he doesn't receive instruction but you know when he is punished Others can see it and they can learn from it. You know, we can learn from mistakes, but it doesn't have to be our own mistakes. 
And even Paul wrote about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. He writes about the children of Israel and, you know, and their rebellion out in the wilderness. And he says, these things were written for our admonition that we may learn from it. These examples in the Old Testament and all throughout the scriptures, we go through the scriptures, we learn what it is that we are to do, but we also learn a lot what we're not to do and that which will harm us spiritually and in our life. So we can, we can learn from that. And even as I read from Isaiah chapter 1, when you go through those first few chapters of Isaiah, it was Isaiah the prophet who came on a scene about 740, 740 B.C. And it was right before the house of Israel would go off into captivity by the Assyrians. But when that happened, he would indict the house of Judah, who wouldn't go off into captivity till 605 B.C. by the Babylonians. But he says, house of Judah, you should have learned from your sister. You should have learned from the house of Israel because of their disobedience and idol worship. But your sin is even worse because you've been blind to it. The house of Israel and the word of the prophets, the word of the Lord given to them that they would go off into captivity if they didn't repent from their disobedience and rebellion and false worship. And you saw what happened and yet you refused to learn from that. So we can see all of us. We've seen what happens to people when they're involved in sin. The end of the way is just misery and terrible consequences and repercussion. And we can't go around thinking that'll never happen to me. Whatever a man sows, so shall he reap. And if you reap seeds into the flesh of the flesh, you're going to reap corruption. That's in a principle, a truth that's given to us that none of us are exempt from that. So we can learn from others. And we can see that sin just has terrible consequences and it will for our lives as well. Well, verse 12, the righteous God wisely considers the house of the wicked, overthrowing the wicked for their wickedness. So wicked seem to, it seems like sometimes we think to get away with so much. Remember Psalm 73, Asaph really struggled with that, but they really are not getting away with it. And then in verse 13, whoever shuts his ear to the cry of the poor will also cry himself and not be heard. Again, I want to remind you that God has a very special heart for widows and for orphans and for the poor. And Jesus himself was poor. And, and it's unbelievable to me when I hear a prosperity teacher, you know, that I've heard a few times on Christian TV say that being poor is a curse. And nowhere in scripture does it say that. So God has a special, you know, uh, heart for the poor. And he desires for us as Christians to be good stewards of what he's given to us that have a very, very uh, much of a heart and compassion for the poor as well and to be able to give. That's why I love Jerry and, and um, you know, Lola. Uh, I know they wouldn't like me, you know, saying this because they're very humble, but they just will, they will help anyone who needs a food basket. If they hear of it, somehow they will get them a food basket. When they're not feeling well, when they, you know, don't have any money. And they just absolutely amaze me. And there's a lot of Jerry's and Lola's that are in this fellowship and in this community that care for people. And I pray for us that we would be ones that we would have compassion for others. It reminds me so much in Jesus, in the feeding of the 5,000. 
You know, he looked at the multitude. They were hungry. He had ministered to them. He had compassion on them. He was healing them of every kind of sickness and disease. And then all of a sudden the day is late and the disciples said, hey, you need to send the people away. You know, the disciples, the ones that are going to be, you know, the future leaders of the church. Send them away. That was their mentality. Get rid of them. Tell them to go back into town. Jesus said, you feed them. You feed them. And I'm not just talking about somebody who perhaps is poor, you know, materially, financially. Yeah, we're to to have a heart for them, but maybe somebody who's poor in spirit. And perhaps there's somebody that you know at the workplace or out in the field, guys, or, you know, a family member that they're not doing well and they're poor in spirit. And maybe they're not doing well, you know, financially, whatever it is, that you would pray about, Lord, how is it that I can help them? And it does take discernment. It takes real wisdom to do that because we can't help everybody. But the Lord may have somebody that he wants you to help and to minister to. And I pray that we wouldn't shut our hearts and our spiritual eyes to those who are in need. But the Lord's going to bless you. And one of the ways that we can really enjoy our Christmas season is to give to others. So much of Christmas is what we're going to get. So much of Christmas is, is you know, that way, and, and that's part of it. I, I get that, and we all get that. But this Christmas season, and in every season, that we would be just sensitive to, Lord, what is it that you would have me to give? To, to give to others who are poor, maybe materially, maybe financially, but those who are poor, you know, of spirit. And Jesus, he always had compassion on them, on those who are poor of spirit, And he was one that had compassion on people and sensitive to ministering to them. And may we be the same way as well, just continuing uh, to reach out to others. Verse 14, a gift in secret pacifies anger and a bride behind the back, strong wrath. So Solomon's not endorsing bribery, but he's just stating how an angry person responds if he or she has slipped a gift or something like that. So I think, guys, that we can make this practical. So if, you know, your wife is mad at you, go get the flowers and go get the chocolate and bring it home, all right? And pray. Hope that works. If it doesn't, get on the housetop. I don't know. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Verse 15, let's move on. It is joy for the just to do justice, but destruction will come to the workers of iniquity. You know, it's to do what is right in God's eyes is what we should be doing to have joy in doing that. That should be our hearts. Joy for the just to do justice. And you see, it's not just, you know, okay, we got a teaching on having compassion towards those who, you know, are poor, Uh, to reach out to others. But as we live a life that is pleasing to the Lord, that it should bring us joy. You know, the joy of the Lord is our strength. And the Lord desires for us to have great joy. I I really believe personally that there are a lot of people in life and even a lot of Christians lack joy in their life. And one of the ways to have joy is in your life, and joy is much more than happiness, 
Because today, the, the, one of the, the key words in the church today is God just wants you to be happy. And listen, I know that all of us are for happiness, right? But happiness is dependent upon circumstances. But he desires to give us joy even in the difficult circumstances or the hard trials or the times we feel, you know, down or whatever it is. Underneath it all, that joy unspeakable that he desires to give to us. And one of the ways for you to just have the joy of the Lord is that you be a Christian who desires to walk with the Lord. And as you're walking with him and as you're just praising him and as you're being thankful to him, you're going to have that joy. You're going to have that joy in your heart. And that is something that is missing in the heart of a lot of Christians is joy. Because, you know, they're, they're looking in things to bring that joy. And things won't bring joy. Bring, you know, things, you know, can and bring us pleasure and happiness at times. But having that joy, just that assurance and peace and closeness with the Lord you know, is something that all of us should have and is so valuable. And it starts by doing what is right in the sight of the Lord. Lord, I want to please you. I want to give to others. I want to walk with you. I want to give my devotion to you. And as you do, that joy is going to come. In verse 16, a man who wanders from the way of understanding will rest in the assembly of the dead. Verse 16. It's, it's a sad verse for those who reject Christ. Um, you know, Ephesians chapter 2 talks about being spiritually dead, but God, who's rich in mercy and his great love, has made us alive through Christ. And I'm sure that many of you have the testimony that when you first came to Christ, you know, born again by the Spirit of God, that you felt alive for the very first time, didn't you? You didn't realize how dead you were. I, I know that was for me. I didn't realize, man, I was dead. A deadness was in me. I didn't care about people. I didn't even want to talk to people. It was okay with me if I didn't see people. Or, you know, uh, a dog and a friend. That's all I needed, you know. And, and, you know, I didn't care about people's, you know, misfortunes or anything. But, you know, it was the deadness that was inside of me. And when I came to Christ, all of a sudden everything started you know, was alive and everything, you know, I, the sky was more blue, you know, the, you know, life had real purpose. And I know you felt that way as well because he has made us alive, truly. And you see the people around you, sometimes we can be so cynical towards them and look down our noses at them and be disgusted with them. But we need to understand something that they're dead spiritually because they don't have the Lord. What they have is the world. And so we have the opportunity to bring the words of eternal life, just as Peter said, that you have the words of eternal life to give to others. And that's what my prayer is, is that this Christmas season, that you would be one, that you have the greatest message to give to others. For unto you... Born this day in the city of David, born to all people, is Christ, the Savior of the world. Born unto you, a Savior, and that he came to save lives and to bring life and to be 
one that gives that message this Christmas season and at all seasons because people are dead. You know, the walking dead. Dead men walking. But we have the words of eternal life to give to them. That we would proclaim it. We would pray for them. We would be a light to them, given the gospel. You know, we're going to come to the communion table. We're going to stop right here tonight. And we're going to come to the communion table. And as we come to the communion table, you know, holding the elements in our hands, you know, be thankful. Be thankful that, Lord, you made me alive because you went to the cross to die for me. But because you lived a perfect life, you conquered sin and death. And you're alive, and now I'm alive as we've been born again. So may this be a time of just being thankful and worshiping the Lord uh, at this moment. They're going to hand out the communion elements. Hang on to them. Remember, there's two cups. As you take the top one off, that's the juice, and then the cracker down at the bottom. And let's just worship the Lord for the next few moments, and then we'll partake of the elements together.